Cosmic Kitty Cats. Welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I am one of your hosts, Angel. And I'm your other host, Brandon. And this is our twice monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. We're explorers with a mission of truth, sincerity, and love. <laughs> and you're a kitty cat. Um, if this is your first time listening, uh, welcome. We are not kitty cats by no, nature. No, we're, we're human beings. We are human beings. Specifically, we are husbands, Brandon Angel, and I'm Angel Lopez. I am an astrologer, a queeler, a teacher, a film producer, and a writer, and um, a love god. Oh, Okay, lucky me. Mm-hmm. And you? Uh, I'm Brandon Alter. I'm married to a love god. I'm a spiritual healer. Uh, I am a tarot reader and an astrologer and a teacher of both of those modalities. And uh, a queeler, a queerdo, <laughs> a quarpenter. A quarpenter? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Remember we assembled yes. that <laughs> that new dresser in we the bedroom? Did. That made us quarpenters. You slayed that. Well... I was really just your assistant. That's true. It's very satisfying to like have a very clear cut project and then you like have a finished thing at the end of it. Yeah. And our main bedroom in our house has been like a long gestating project. It's the last room. Yeah. We've been like slowly pulling things into it and it feels so good now. It's like, it's really like 80% there. We're just missing a couple little pieces, but they're on their way. Yeah. Mulling stuff on the walls. Yes. We we call it the Neptune suite. <laughs> we do. Because we want it to have like a Pisces, underwater, soothing kind of blue spa vibe. Yeah. Which was always something I really wanted. Like I just wanted to have it, you know, not only like connect to that sort of soft, dreamy aspect of Pisces, but I think, you know, I wanted it to be a place where we could like feel entirely just like relaxed yeah cosmic ocean vibes yeah i want to get some sort of like neptune art to go over the bed and i found did i send it to you there's this artist out of i think russia who painted all of the planets oh cool they're gorgeous but they're like thousands of dollars oh so i (laughs) i sent the photo to a friend of mine who's very crafty phoebe Uh a gazer who sometimes listens with her young daughters uh, and I was like, we can replicate this, right? And she was like, absolutely. Oh, so cool. We're going to figure out a way to, to get a Neptune in the bedroom. Oh, I want that so bad. Yeah. Where is your Neptune, Natalie? Is it in Sagittarius? My Neptune is in Sagittarius in the seventh house. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, made me, um, uh, made me lack boundaries in relationships mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. I had like a real, um, like dreamer quality with relationships. Um, I also um, tended to have relationships with people who were not having relationships with me. Right. Like a fantasy relationship. Yeah. I had a lot of those. Got it. You know, for years. <laughs> really. I was like, oh yeah, that's my boyfriend. And they're like, actually, no. No, I that's don't not I your boyfriend. know who you are. Yeah. No, no, I was never boyfriends to people who didn't know me. They knew me. They oh. just thought they were friends. They didn't realize that they, in my mind, were kind of my boyfriends. Oh, wow. I know. Yeah. 
let's not go back there. Uh, let's move forward. Okay. <laughs> but I always knew that I think the like high, as, especially as I studied more astrology, I started to really realize like, oh, I'm not meant to like have imaginary relationships with people. Um, I meant to like have a really like deeply spiritual, spiritual yeah. relationship with someone. Which is like the work that you do. Because the seventh house is the house of one-on-one relationships. The one-on-one work you do with clients. Very well, yeah. Neptune informed. Well, yes. And hello, this one. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> the most important one-on-one relationship. Yeah. Interestingly, though, most of those ones prior to this one were um, booze-fueled. Oh, well, Neptune also rules substances. Yeah. So So that helped. Yeah, you, your imaginary boyfriend, and a bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. And then it would be me alone in bed, just, you know... Singing Kelly Clarkson's Hear Me at the top of my lungs. My neighbors really loved me. I bet they did. And I hope they loved Kelly Clarkson. I mean, they learned to. (laughs) They had no choice. But uh, anyhow, we should do our little check-ins that we do. Let's do a little (laughs) check-in. I'll start. Please. I mean, honestly, you know, I I do really feel like I'm in a good place. Um, You know, it's obviously been a, a challenging 18 months. <laughs> Just the last 18 months have been a little yeah. rough. Really? What happened? You know, let's not talk about it. Yeah. But, you know, I obviously, if you've been listening, um, you know that in February I lost my father. And, um, you know, wow. It's now March, April, May. Really not, still not that long ago. Um, but I definitely feel like I've been through a lot of the grieving process. I have done, I feel a good job of being really present to it. It's been a remarkable teacher for me, grief. And I think what it did also do was allow me to connect more deeply with just the general sense of grief that not only have I been experiencing, but I think everyone's been experiencing, you know, like we all had to grieve the loss of 2020. And there was obviously a lot of loss that came with that. You know, some people lost family members, friends, et cetera, lost jobs, lost homes, lost lives that they were living. And so, you know, I've really been thinking a lot about that, how we're all coming out of a grieving process or moving through it. And some people are either approaching it head on or have been working with it. Um, and some people are obviously like just pushing it away still. Okay. I don't need to read. <laughs> Thank you. I wasn't, I was just looking at you cause we're uh-huh. having a conversation. No, uh-huh. seriously. Um, no, we're definitely bookends to the collective grief. Yeah. Yeah. You're ahead of it. Oh, well, I'm uh, just, I'm just s- s- dipping my toes in. No, I mean, look, I think you've, I mean, we've all been doing the work. You've definitely been doing the work and I wasn't talking to you just FYI. I know. But, um, you know, I, um, I just wanted to make it about me cause <laughs> I felt like it'd been a couple minutes since we talked about me. So I was just redirecting. Ladies and gentlemen, and Aries rising. Hello. <laughs> it's me. Multiple planets in the first house. You want to finish that song? No, I'm good. Oh, I haven't listened to Adele in a while. Um, Speaking of arbiters of grief. No, but beautiful. I know. Collective. Seriously. And actually, doesn't that come up? In our conversation with Armando? Yeah, just to tease, we are going to have a spirit talk for you with um, Armando Sanchez, um, who is a clinical therapist. And he actually does talk about um, Adele Adele. as like a 
a tool for us all dealing with our collective emotions. But anyhow, I'm digressing. Uh, just a tease. Yeah, exactly. But uh, anyhow, all of this to say, I've been, I think, really just doing a lot of work around like presence in general. And I've talked a lot about on here, I think, in past check-ins about really trying to connect with my identity from a place of presence, really trying to weed out, um, you know, any thing that is not from me or that has been collected from me. And also I'm a Mars and Pisces too. So like I very easily just kind of like sponge off other people. Plus all my 12th house houses, I'm like, or 12th house planets. I'm like, Oh, that, that's a personality trait. That's cute. I'll take it. What I've come to really realize is what I'm doing is moving through the process of individuation, which is a Jungian term, which is essentially like trying to come into your like purest identity. Yeah. Um, Separating from larger or inherited forces. Yeah. And creating your own path moving forwards. Yeah. And my therapist had recommended this book called Presence by uh, a woman named Amy Cuddy that I started reading. And the first chapter talks a lot about that, which I really related to. It's interesting because individuation is actually a word I use when I talk about the lover's card oh. in the tarot. Because mm -hmm. it's a moment when after meeting the magician and the high priestess and the emperor and the empress and the hierophant, you begin to individuate. Right. And you choose who you're going to be after kind of getting a taste of all these different resources. And it's perfect timing. I was going to say. Because here we are, babies. It's Gemini season. Yeah. And, it's, and it is a Gemini season like no other. And that is the card. Um, or the lovers is the Gemini card. And we are about to enter into a Gemini season Mercury retrograde phase. That will start on May 29th and yep. take us through June 22nd. It's a long one. Yeah. With and Mercury moving backwards in the sign that Mercury rules. Exactly. So it's like going back through your kingdom and taking a look at it from a different point of view. Yeah. So it feels really well timed for me just to be going through this mental process of, oh, you belong to me and you don't. And I would actually say for everyone, because we are about to have this Mercury retrograde process, um, through Gemini, that it honestly is a good time for all of all of you out there listening to take stock of yourself. You know, Gemini, I always say it's like, you know, conversation, connection, communication. But it very easily gets like filtered outward in Gemini, you know, and that's kind of the stereotype of Gemini, right? It's like, oh, they're chatty. They're having conversation. They want to ask questions. They're out here like, sure you was know, last night. let's do it. Rosé all day. Let's not go there. Um, but <laughs> we went, uh, I don't want to get down a, down a story, but, but yes, we went to dinner at a Mexican place. We had a date night. Yes. It was our first out date night at a restaurant in, in forever. Like 14 months. We went to this little Mexican restaurant in the new neighborhood called yeah. Joselitos. Oh, so good. We sat outside. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful. Yeah. And then there was like a lower patio beneath us. The lower level. And all these people started showing up for like a birthday party and they were so loud. And it was 
Saturday night, so I can't be too mad yeah, at yeah. them. But it was like so loud that I could barely hear Angel at our table. Right. And then we understood that it was a birthday. And I was like, well, of course, it's fucking Gemini season and it is lit here. Well, and they shouted it out, birthday, Gemini season. Yeah, it was whoop, whoop. So we're funny. like, oh, shit. But then <laughs> at a certain point, it got very quiet. Oh, yeah. And one of them offered up like a collective prayer before they started eating. Yeah. And was like, thank you, God, for this food. Thank you for the money to afford this food. And I was like, Gemini seasons, like both, you know, like it's lit AF, but it's also spiritual. You know, the thing about Gemini season is it's a time to explore your duality, your edges. Well, and that's where I was going is that it is very external and has that external projection, but it also really wants to invite an internal connection an internal conversation, an internal communication, you know, with, with yourself, with your identity. And so as we are all invited to slow down to some degree in a retrograde time, slow down with yourself, ask yourself some questions. Uh, the fourth C word that goes with Gemini for me is curiosity. Hmm. And get a little curious with yourself, you know, why do I respond that way? Why is that my reaction? Why do I like this thing? Do I like this thing? <laughs> do I like this person? And you can obviously see what house you have Gemini moving through or, or Gemini in, I should say, um, to get a sense of the doorway into some of that conversation. For me, it's first house, hello, identity. And also second house, values. What do I value? What do I care about? what's meaningful to me and uh yeah go from there so that's kind of the state of my affairs right now i just want to offer up an observation because i do think a grief process especially around losing a parent goes on for a really long time but we did literally just have your mom and your great aunt who is 96 years old come over to the house for the first time yeah and <laughs> oh my titi no me shout out to titi i mean <laughs> I feel like she's in better shape than I am. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, she is so robust. But the way that your mom took in the house and had so much joy and compassion for us. And then as we were leaving, she was like, well, you guys have made it, you know, <laughs> which is certainly not how we feel by any means. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I felt like, OK, there's like this really beautiful kind of chapter close because she's about to leave L.A. and move off on her next chapter. And it just felt like there was like a circling back around. Yeah, no, for sure. And even as we were saying goodbye, uh, just her and I, she paused and looked at the house and she was like, oh, your daddy's here and he's so happy. And I was like, I know, I feel him. Mm. So it was really nice. It's beautiful. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> just tell us. Oh, fuck me. Uh, there's a new Cher song that came out. Oh, yes. I mean, actually, I guess it was recorded in 2017, <laughs> but it's new it's in my Spotify. release radar on Spotify. Right. It's called Walls, and she recorded it about that elephant, uh, Kavan, who was like basically imprisoned in Pakistan for like 36 years. Yeah, I was very zoo. struck by the fact that me and this elephant are the same age. And I took like a marathon hike. And I was driving home listening to this song and I just like started getting very emotional, which is not unusual for me when I listen to Cher because she is a way in for me. But I was just like, oh, fuck, there is such like a backlog of emotions here. And 
Jupiter just moved into Pisces, which we know is an expansion of all Pisces things, spirituality and optimism and imagination, but also emotion. And Pisces rules my 12th house, which is the house of that which is hidden. And so I really am feeling this invitation to go within in a much deeper way and let that be expanded for myself. Because these last 14 months, I've definitely been in a very effective, but also very depleting survival mode. And I've really been taking care of you and Noche and like the house and the car and all of our beautiful students. And now yeah, so much. I'm like, okay, but you are like scraping the bottom of your own barrel. So just feeling that and feeling that like I really need to not just like take a break, but I need to do what I didn't do this winter, which is walk the inward road and find your inner lake and your inner mountain and plug back in to that source of your vitality and power. I'm not plugged into that. Yeah. And so I'm taking Jupiter and Pisces as an opportunity to turn inwards and to reconnect to like my spiritual sourcing, uh, which also coincides with this Mercury retrograde and us taking like a five week break from the podcast. Yeah. So just FYI, everyone. Sweet babies. <laughs> we are going to take a little pause for ourselves, a little Mercury retrograde pause. And this is something we have talked about before. Because if you don't remember the last time... <laughs> We tried to keep this shit going during during Mercury Retrograde. It was a fucking clusterfuck. It was not cute. And we were like, never again will we compete with the god of technology. So we have decided to embrace that. Yes. Which is good because it creates built-in pauses for our own selves to yes. fill ourselves up. And also the day after Mercury Stations Direct, we're going to be teaching a brand new class yes. called Spirit Worlds. And this is like our spiritual gay summer school. It's a five-week course. And we've never taught a course in animism before, but I've wanted to for a really long time. And so I need a couple of weeks to get really grounded and really rooted so that I can facilitate this journey into the invisible world for anyone yeah. that wants to join us. Yeah. This is the only time we're going to be talking about it on the podcast because by the time we come back with the podcast, the class will already be in session. So I encourage you just to go on the website and take a look at what we're going to be doing over five weeks. If you've ever heard me talking about journeying or my relationships with power animals or helping spirits or even my ancestors, it's all in this container of animism which in the past I called shamanism, but we don't talk about shamanism anymore because that's well-meaning appropriation. So we don't need to use that word. We use the word animism, which is essentially the belief that everything is alive. Right. Everything has a spirit from the stars in the sky or the planets, which is where astrology comes from, to the rocks and the trees. And that there are also these spirits that only really exist in a non-ordinary dimension. Mm -hmm. And the way to connect with them is through journeying and other practices that we're going to invite during the course. So I'm really excited. You can probably hear that it's a class that's really close to my heart. And I think it's going to be a tremendous opportunity for connection and curiosity yeah. and conversation, but also for power and for healing. Yeah, And we'll be in cancer season when this class begins. And, you know, cancer season is about connecting to your own emotions, to your own ancestry, in some ways to like the marrow of your soul. And that's so much what the work of animist practice is about doing. It's about reaching back and reaching in. Yeah. 
So I'm very excited about that. But I am by no means ready to lead that course today. So <laughs> I'm going into the I'm going into the mountains or I'm going to the ocean. I'm I'm gonna take a hermit a couple of weeks and replenish and then come back ready, ready to give. Oh, well, I'm glad you're doing that because you deserve it. You've been an amazing source of everything for me and for a lot of people. And I'm super excited for this course. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Mars is going to be in Leo as well. So it should be really playful and creative and expressive. So yeah, you can go to our website, thespiritualgaze.com and check out the Spirit School tab there. And uh, you'll find out all the info on what the class entails and uh, how to sign up. So join us. Join us. I don't know the words. Leave your fields to flower. <laughs> Thank you. Join us. We still need to watch Pippin. Join us. Come and something. Come something into our you. magic review. We've got magic to do. Just, <laughs> Just for you. We got, got miracle games, games to play. We've got Hearts to perform, hearts to, to warm, explore, warm kings and things to take by storm as, as we, we go along our way. <laughs> we haven't worked the harmony out we on that yet, say. guys. Um, anyhow, um, I know we do need to still watch Pippin. I know we'll watch it. I know it's important, actually. Um, because I'm right. developing a musical on the tarot, and so I really feel like I need to watch Pippin to help yeah. inform that. Well, let's do it as part of our own little Mercury Retrograde Summer School. Okay, that's We're putting good. ourselves through. All right. So that was an extra long check-in, but we yes. wanted to, you know, give you a little cosmic update woven in there so you kind of get a sense of what's happening. Because the... We had a request. We had a special request. <laughs> we got to um, thankfully spend a birthday celebration with our very first Spirit Talk Lori Lou. Lori Lou. The career whisperer. Yes. And she gathered together some of her closest friends. Yeah. Some of whom are gazers. Yes. So yeah, and uh, we were all chatting about the podcast and they were like, "We, I love when you talk about reality TV. And we we're like, well, some people don't. And they were like, well, we do. And we we're like, so do we. So if you don't like the reality TV. Fast forward. Otherwise, get ready for this episode's Dose, Dose of Reality. So some of our favorite ladies are back. They're back. And they're back at the same time. I always forget they come back at the same time. Yeah, they cycle together. Thank God. We are talking about the Real Housewives of New York and the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh, some of our favorite ladies. <laughs> and soon come the Real Housewives of Potomac. And then it's going to be like I mean, too much of a good we're thing. We're going to have to cancel everything. I know. Because I can't even imagine. those. I mean, those are Atlanta I love, but the last couple seasons. A little sleepy. A little sleepy. This last season was a little sleepy. But Potomac. Potomac. I live. And New York. And Beverly Hills. Each the best Housewives franchise in their own right. Yeah. Beverly Hills is like the most she, she, she. They're the richest. New York is the funniest. And Potomac is the messiest. And yeah. so we just love all three of them for those separate reasons. Yeah. But I do think that, and I stated to Brandon in a very, very serious way, because I'd been pondering it. But I do believe New York is my fave. And that is because? I just think that they bring the glam 
but they also like just bring so much fun and they don't take themselves that seriously. They don't hold on to like, you know, one thing for 25 years. You're not going to get a Lucy, Lucy, Apple, Juicy Gate for 10 episodes. Like they're going to go in, they're going to brawl it out at Ramona's house in the Hamptons and then they're going to hug it out and move on. Also, they're the best characters. Oh my God, like so good. Sonia Morgan, the Countess Luann, like they are archetypal at this point. Yeah, and lover or hater, Ramona Singer. And I have hated her, and I have loved her, Same. and I have hated her, and I have loved her again. Same, all in one night. <laughs> <laughs> so true. And, you know, last year they uh, brought in Leah McSweeney, who I loved last season. We loved her last season. I'm a little like... I don't know yet. We're only a few episodes in, but she's kind of like bringing a little too much like I'm on TV to it all. Coming on a little strong. Yeah, it's especially, you know, we haven't, we're, we watched the last episode was, um, you know, they're in the Hamptons and Heather Holla Thompson is about to come join them. And already like sitting at the table and Leah's like, what are we going to do about Heather? And I felt like she was already like trying to produce a fight. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I need this. But thankfully, she's balanced out by one of the best newcomers I've seen show up. I mean. Which is Ebony K. Williams. Ebony K. Williams. I mean, already a legend. From like her first introduction, yeah. episode one, where she was talking about like her resting bitch face. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> what else? In her first episode, she was drinking like champagne. Uh-huh. In bed. On her bed. On her bed with, who was it, her friend or a sis- was it her sister? No, it was her friend. It was her friend. And I was just like, if that's how I get to meet you, like, you're kin. I love that housewives always are taking meetings on their bed. I mean, and that's how I want to be. I know. Moving forward. Well, we finally have a bedroom that, like, is yeah worthy of that. Just know if you are invited to our house, you will be sipping champagne in bed with us well not in bed on the bed the bed is made in bed you're i will on, be you on the bed i will be just in my <laughs> underwear and we're drinking champagne guys wow <laughs> but um i'm like so happy that they're back and i am interested to see what heather holla thompson brings to the table yeah i'm also interested to see how like, as somebody in recovery, I'm really interested to watch Luann right. and Leah navigate New York, which is maybe one of the booziest casts. Well, I mean, with Sonia Morgan alone, that's enough booze to cover any other cast together. So I just like having that storyline entering yeah. in. And you can also tell that they were, like, cooped up in quarantine for so long. Like, they have come back to filming, like, so hungry, so ready. Like, their engines are ready to go. And they participated in a, like spiritually oh yeah <laughs> like grounded ceremony ceremony they had some energy healers show up to ramona's house in the hamptons yeah which could definitely use a spiritual healer. totally and she played crystal bowls and she encouraged them to set intentions yeah it didn't feel performative at all no, which sometimes like a... they do feel like that way when they invite like you know the psychic medium to the stars totally. on yeah no but that this was... felt really legit and it actually felt like it opened them up like they had really like profound vulnerable shares and then they all like howled at the like sky together i mean even ramona tried i i mean that's a powerful i want to meet this woman who who performed the ceremony 
because that's power. If she can get Ramona Singer to get it remotely soulful. So true. Bring it on. And then, of course, there's Beverly Hills, which if you are remotely interested in The Real Housewives, you know what's coming, which oh, is the... man. Uh, the slow The story of, Her- of Erica Jane. Of Erica Girardi. Yes. So Erica Jane, arguably one of the richest presenting housewives. I mean, that's her brand. Yes. Is I'm a rich bitch. Yeah. Her husband. It's expensive to be her. It's expensive to be her. She's a riddle wrapped in an enigma (laughs) in cash. Yeah. Not anymore. Not anymore, honey. So her ex-husband now, Tom Girardi, a very famous personal injury lawyer, uh, apparently was not paying his clients their settlements. Yeah, he was keeping them for himself. And to also fund her $40,000 a month, like, glam squad lifestyle. Allegedly. 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 And so all at once, she files for a divorce, and then all of these allegations come at them. They're forced to declare bankruptcy. They're forced to sell their, you know, lavish, I think, $13 million Pasadena mansion. Mm Mm-hmm. But did you mention that before those allegations were released, she filed for divorce? Yes. Right. Like a week before. Yeah. Which feels fishy. It's a little fishy, guys, especially because in the first episode, and we've really only had two episodes now, right? Or just one. We've only had one. We've only had one, but felt like two. Oh my God. It was so nourishing. Um, That there's like no mention of like, oh, trouble, you know, troubles no. afoot. She kind of... Tease it up a little bit in one of the testimonials where she's like, you know, not everyone knows what goes on, you know, in your personal life. But she was also saying like COVID was so good. We had dinner together every night. Yeah. And that testimonial was obviously filmed after everything had happened. But look, I ain't innocent till proven guilty. Anyhow. Not in my book. um, Thankfully, though, we have, well, we have one official new housewife. Crystal. Crystal. Who I also think came out like guns ablazing yeah she seems very like grounded in herself like she's ready to play with these with these big cats oh for sure um her husband directed the lion king the original they are truly richer than the goddess yeah there's a lot of money there um and a lot of uh memorabilia of the lion king (laughs) but honestly like she's like there's a zoo but if there's like one movie that you would want memorabilia from it's probably the lion king oh that's true yeah like i would want like a whole like just like safari wing oh my god it'd be amazing with all of them i want like a life-size like pumbaa that i could like ride and cuddle with i bet they probably have it that'd be fun all right well let's become friends with crystal (laughs) okay um but even Can you more, imagine, we do not run to. in the same circles. Let <laughs> no, me tell we you. don't. We're she not. is not interested. Yeah, I don't think we're even like six degrees. But also joining the party is Kathy Hilton. Kathy Hilton. Who, I mean, they tease out like some of the stuff she's going to do in the season. But like, she's already a hoot. The fact that she is blind as a bat. And when Garcelle walked in and she was like, I thought you were Kyle. I was like, girl. <laughs> she's like it's the pink outfit but i love that dorit was like are you able to see and she was like no no <laughs> but she also seems like she's a little out to lunch in a way that oh, like only somebody sure. who is like 
so rich can be like just completely disconnected from reality and has been since a child because she said she used to do dental work on the neighborhood children so also maybe a little bit of a bully that was like the game they would play you know like how you play house with your friends kathy hilton would have people come over and she would play dentist yeah and if you like and if you didn't like play dentist with Kathy Hilton, she would like beat you up or something. No, she just said, you're not, you can't come back here. Right. Like if you want to come back here in our house, and I'm sure they lived in a nice house. Hello. I mean, her sisters were child actresses. And the Hiltons. Oh no, that was no, her she husband. she wasn't a Hilton then. Right. But they were child actors. Right. So I'm sure they lived in a relatively nice house. And, um... I can't remember what Kyle said exactly, but it was something to the effect of like, yeah, she was challenging. And it's like, no, she's a bully. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Because all of yeah. those Beverly Hills housewives are bullies. Oh, for sure. With smiles on their faces. Yeah. But Erica um, Jane's the biggest bully. And I'm not like taking glee in her demise but sometimes it's nice to see karma happen in real time and it will be interesting just to see how somebody whose personality was built on being so wealthy have to face the potentiality of losing it all yeah talk about like an identity crisis like who am i without all these things yeah is she 50 uh i don't know i wonder if this is her chiron return possibly And I've read some articles about how all of those like IRS or lawyers or whatever are going to be using episodes of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills to catalog all of her like possessions, you know? And that first episode opens up with like a room with just racks and racks and racks of designer garments that like can't even fit into the main closet. And you're just like, I mean, there are millions of dollars of just clothes, not even to mention the jewels. She wears that like (laughs) huge diamond necklace to Dorit's barbecue. And I was like, this is not a good look for somebody that's like, you know, no owing in excess of, I think like five or $6 million or no, I think it's like even more than that. I don't even know. But I mean, he was getting like multi-million dollar settlements for like airplanes that crashed and things of that mm-hmm. nature and then not paying his clients. Yeah. No, it's wild. So inquiring minds, you know, we'll be watching. So it's a good time to jump into the housewives waters <laughs> if you've ever been considering it. Yeah. Perhaps not the most spiritually mindful, but entertaining as all hell. All right. Now we should... uh Switch gears. Okay. <laughs> Take you into a conversation. I mean, there's just so much reality TV we could be I talking I know. I mean, look, about. we could be talking about Top Chef, which, which we're loving. Phenomenal. Such a good season of Top Chef. Just salivating all the time. It's, I think, probably the classiest of reality competition shows. Yeah, it's incredibly well done. And I feel like there's a really beautiful camaraderie among all the contestants because they've been like at home alone for so long that I think seeing other people, there's just like a softness for sure that they're bringing to the competition. Whereas I think in past seasons, it was a little bit more cutthroat. Yeah. I actually had a dream last night that I was on top chef. I think I would love for you to, you could be on the top chef amateur that they're doing. I don't even think I'm good enough. You'd get to meet Gail Simmons. I mean, that would be a dream come true. So Gail Simmons is like a joy guide. Yeah. Well, we'll watch and see. We could also be talking about below deck sailing yacht, but we don't even want to be watching it. It's not even it's, worth your time. Everybody. We're watching it out of habit. We watch it because it's Monday night and I'm like, let's just see what's going on. You there. know, what else is there to do? And then lastly, we did watch the big shot with Bethany. Oh, which, you know what? We won't really talk too much about because it wasn't like the best series. No, it wasn't. 
um, and but another I will love-hate say relationship. The right person wins. Yes. That's all I'll say. So it's a good, satisfying conclusion if you watch it all the way through. Totally. All right. And I missed Bethany, as problematic as she is. I missed her. And those outfits, that fucking sequined jumpsuit that she wears, or it's not a jumpsuit, it's like, it's like a sequined matching sweatsuit. Yeah, she sold it out. Oh, fuck me. Because we did go on to I want look. that sweatsuit so badly. Oh, my God. It was fucking gorgeous. Yeah. Well, Shawnee, thankfully. Sha- yeah, shout out to Shawnee. Shout she had done the research Shawnee. already and helped guide us to where it was, but you can't really get it. Well, you can I get mean, it in pieces. You can get one of them, I think. You can only get the pants. Yeah, you can get the pants. But what's, I don't want the sequin sweatpants if I can't have the sequin sweat jacket. Well, you know, you could pair it with Somebody's like a gonna nice, knock it off. You know. Somebody's going to knock it off. I'm going to figure it out. Okay. Just send it to Phoebe. And Jade. Yeah, have them make you one. Well, yeah, that could, it could happen. Or at least have them make Brandana one. All right. We have turned this into a reality show podcast. Which it's not. <laughs> Which it's not. But look, y'all. It's Gemini season. Yeah, and you won't have us again until cancer season. So, so this is our your, chatty. Here's our your chatty, chatty gossipy <laughs> tea party. We already turned it within. Now we're turning it out externally. Exactly. Both sides. Duality. Giving you both sides of Gemini. Exactly. <laughs> um, and now for a conversation, because it wouldn't be Gemini season without one of those. So pour yourself a cup of tea, maybe put together a little plate full of cookies, and settle in for this episode's Spirit, Spirit Talk. All right, everybody. So we are here in the spirit room with Armando Sanchez. And Armando is a clinical therapist. He is also the writer creator of Gay Men and Blog, which is a blog to empower gay men to live a life of love and fulfillment. And we are so excited to have Armando here. He is just a love. So welcome to the spirit room, Armando. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, it's like a cloudy Saturday morning here. Mm-hmm. Angel and I are bundled up in the spirit room. Noche's made a little bed for himself on the chair. And we actually wanted to start by kind of leaning into your background um, as a mental health professional. And I'm curious, just right off the bat, what tools do you have that make you feel held? that make you feel kind of like wrapped, bundled up and secure when, you know, you're struggling with, with mental health, with attitude, with feeling good in the world. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I've needed to use these tools that I'm about to mention a lot lately because of the pandemic and, uh, everything that's happening, but I like to reflect, slow down and reflect, um, look inward, uh, and that can be as simple as, you know, asking myself, how am I feeling? Or noticing that I am feeling dysregulated, which for me can feel doing too much, being busy for the sake of being busy and ignoring myself. Um, I also meditate, um, do some guided meditation on my own, not as often as I would like, um, but I, I do some meditations because that allows me, again, to slow down and allow my mind to take a break from, I'm very, my, my mind tends to be very overactive mm-hmm. and that's where the source of my stress and anxiety comes. Um, and 
I also reach out. I reach out for to people who I care about, who care about me, um, and connect, uh, especially when I feel disconnected from from others. Yeah, you say a lot of really good things there. I think we have to notice first and foremost that like we're not living with robust mental health, right? Which is hard to even be able to identify that for oneself. And then I think something that's even harder for some people, certainly myself, is then to like reach out and ask for help with that situation because there's a lie in our culture that's about having to do everything for yourself. Exactly. And there's so much that prevents people from reaching out, even when they want to, right? There's internalized messages of, I should be able to handle this on my own, or this isn't big enough for other people to hear about or for me to talk uh, to others about. Mm. Um, Or um, what can anyone do to help? Uh, That can also be a sentiment that I hear often from clients. Uh, And ultimately, it understanding where these messages come from is so important. A lot of these messages come from our childhood, how what, how mental health and expressing our emotions were uh, handled by our caretakers, parents, uh, you know, community. So if that was cultivated, if that was encouraged, that allows people to have the, the sense and the ability to reach out and get that support. But even then, I've had clients whose parents were very open about that, uh, and yet they still have a hard time opening up to others and reaching for, out for help. And that's where the society piece comes in, is we are, uh, we're inundated with messages of doing things on your own. And that's completely the opposite of how humans as a species have been able to thrive throughout time. We need each other. And I always bring up the movie Inside Out to clients uh, because the main and the, the most important message in that is that sadness is actually a, an emotion that allows connection. And when we try to ignore or push sadness away, that is our attempt to try to work things out on our by ourselves. Uh, when in reality, we can be open about that to others. And that allows others to step into the role of caring for us, which is so important for us to feel and to receive. And without allowing others to be there for us, we tend to create our own sense of disconnect from others in the world. Yeah. Well, and it seems like we all tend to establish and create like our own internal dark side, right? Whether it's associated with certain types of emotions or feelings or thoughts. And that tends to be the piece of us that we work really hard to suppress. Um, when ultimately that, that is kind of, you, you sort of have to walk through that darkness, recognize that it isn't in necessarily darkness per se, right? That it's actually an essential piece of you. Um, I'm curious how, what has been your own kind of relationship with balancing that for yourself? I've had times in my life where I've avoided the darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and for that, it has looked for me like uh, feeling stuck, uh, 
standing still and feel, feeling stuck, uh, not necessarily engaging with the darkness, um, but also not feeling like I'm living, like I'm alive, like I'm connected. There, then there's also avoidance of the darkness. You kind of maybe run in circles or try to go around it. For me, I've, I know that at this time or at this point in my life that you have, like you say, you have to go through it. And going through it is, is a gift in itself because you, to go through it, you have to have a sense of belief that you'll be okay, that it'll be okay. And that actually it'll be better on the other side. Yeah, I always feel like you have to walk through that darkness in order to recognize the light more clearly, right? Right. Well, and also I think that giving yourself permission to encounter the darkness doesn't also just make the light more recognizable, but the darkness in some ways opens us up to receive more light too. Like the darkness is what sensitizes us and that the practices of numbing or avoidance behavior that you kind of spoke to just a few moments ago that I think we see, you know, radiating in gay male culture for sure. And that we've all, I'm sure, engaged in to some degree. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but that these practices that we engage in to avoid the darkness actually shut us down. Whereas when we can open up our heart to the things that scare us, especially about ourselves, we can open up our heart to our sensitivities or our darkness, as we're calling it. It actually does the same thing that you were saying reaching out for help does is it actually allows us more connection. I can connect to people through their successes totally, and I can be happy for people, but there's something about misery loving company where it's like our darkness really connects us. Does this make sense what I'm speaking yes. to? It really does. And um, it's why we engage with music, you know, people through art and, you know, uh, paintings and television shows and movies that really get at the, the really dark side of, of life and the human experience that is what people connect to. That's why Adele is so, uh, is so <laughs> totally. successful is because people connect to the, the heartbreak and the darkness and the loneliness. It's easy to connect with people when we're happy, when we're, uh, and when other people are experiencing su success. It feels more challenging when it's kind of the, the more darker, deeper things, um, but there is, beauty in, in sharing that and hearing that experience of others, that's ultimately what allows connections to, to become stronger. And for us to feel like we're not alone, which again, ultimately is a cause for a lot of mental health issues for, for many folks and what can lead to uh, more serious and life-threatening uh, situations. The darkness is not a bad thing. It is... Yeah. It is a reality um, and it is something that uh, we're capable of going through, managing and getting to the other side of. Yeah. And when we say the darkness, I feel like it's a very broad term, right? It's specific for everyone. And some people associate with their, you know, their sexuality or, you know, their experience with anxiety, you know, all of these things that are very natural experiences. Right. Um, I think the darkness can be 
like the shadow, literally, you know, mm-hmm. but the darkness can also be our own trauma or the unexplored effect that things in our past have had on us or even just emotions that we're uncomfortable with. Yeah. Shame is a, is a huge darkness for a lot of people. Shame can prevent uh, us from doing the work that is healing for us. Mm. Well, I just want to, I want to ground our conversation in a couple of definitions because I've never actually been able to ask a clinical therapist to define these things. And I think it might be really valuable. So I'm wondering if you could define mental health, because I think that's like a phrase that gets thrown around a lot right now. And I think it would be helpful just to talk about like, okay, what is mental health actually? Like when we're talking about this, what are we talking about? Mental health is something that everyone has that needs to be part of our conscious maintenance. Mm-hmm. As is, it is, involves the way we think, the way we feel, our behavior. It touches every aspect of our, of our life. It's how we show up for ourselves and for others. Mental health is how we care for ourselves. And it is identifying when we need that care. Yeah, even just talking about it, I'm like, right, your body... Like, you know, when your shoulder's hurting, you know, when like you're having issues with like your stomach and you tend to it. But I don't think as a culture, we are as skilled, but I think it's definitely developing to just notice when like our mental health is out of whack. Like when the way we're thinking about things or there's not that check-in, which is why I think like a morning ritual is so important because like, let me check in with how things are today. Because sometimes that mental health isn't as loud in its needs is like if your knee hurts or your like neck is sore. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I worked with uh, younger children in the K through 12 system for uh, most of my career and talking about mental health with them. I, what I, the examples that I use was uh, physical health and dental health. Mm-hmm. So along with mental health, love it to kind of create some, uh, some comparisons that make sense to, to children and really and everyone. Uh, when we're feeling um, with dental health, um, part of dental health is brushing your teeth, it is flossing, it is sometimes going to the dentist when something hurts. Uh, with physical health, it's it involves diet, it involves exercise, it, it maybe sometimes involves going to the gym, and uh, we will experience some pain and and complications with our dental health and with our physical health. So we, it is normalized to go seek help from professionals. Totally. Um, so it is the same thing with our mental health. Part of our me- mental health is getting enough sleep. It is um, engaging in things that make us feel relaxed, but also bring some joy. Mm-hmm. It is uh, our mental health gets impacted by things that we control and things that we don't control. Um, so we may experience a loss and that I think for a lot of people, uh, there's a lot, a lot of more normalized things around mental health. That's when we, it's okay to cry, to show emotion, uh, to seek help. And, and then there are times that, uh, events that impact our mental health, but we feel like maybe we, again, we have to manage these things uh, on our own. Uh, and in reality, there are professionals who are, ready and available to provide that support. Um, And it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be when things are going terribly. It can also just be a check-in and a space to detangle Mm. some some things that feel complicated for us. 
uh, in our in our world. Well, that's great because I was going to also ask you to define therapy for me, and I feel like you kind of just did, which is like it's this container in which to detangle things that require someone else's observation and just like holding of the space. How else would you start to define therapy? Therapy is a space where you, it is focused on you, right? Uh, because we can, we can go to a friend and talk to them about our problems or a partner or a family member, but the, that space is, will also include them in some way. We'll often hear, oh, I have that experience as, as well, or uh, something to that effect. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but sometimes we really just need a space where, where the focus is on, on us and the, the other person has skills and knowledge that they can share with us uh, and perspective because they're not in it with us. Uh, so they can offer some coping skills and a space to allow you to view your issue from a different perspective that maybe allows you to feel less stuck mm. or that you have a little bit more control. And that makes a huge difference for, for people, uh, especially when we're feeling like life is happening to us and that mm -hmm. we don't have a lot of control or influence right. yeah. in the direction that, that things can go. I specifically like connected to the whole idea of normalizing all of this, right? Like normalizing the, just the concept and the process of therapy um, and the, the concept and the process of connecting with your mental health on all of its levels. And I think particularly um, and I'll just speak from my own, you know, experience, like, you know, coming from a household with a Mexican father and a Puerto Rican mother, there wasn't much normalization of conversation around or, you know, or dialogue around vulnerability, sensitivity, emotion. Like a lot of this stuff is a challenging concept or even on some, in some instances, a new concept for people. How do you approach like, you know, some of that, even just like initial dialogue for people who have those walls up to some of this? It's important to, as a clinician, for me to explain what the space is for, for people, especially if, if they've never had any experience with, uh, with counseling um, and that I am listening in a non-judgmental way that uh, everything that they share is confidential uh, so that there is that um, trust and that sense of security that what they will share will not leave the space. Uh, because a lot of people are sharing things that they may have never even spoken out loud before, but that really impact them in a, in a very real way. The other aspect of that is, is explaining that the work that happens within the therapeutic space that they can take whatever feels useful to them and and start to incorporate it into their way of thinking into their life and then come back to check in again so that it's not a one-time thing and sometimes a one-time conversation is what someone needs but ongoing counseling can feel like a lifeline for a lot of people especially if mental health was not nor uh, normalized thing in their family or their household or their community. Yeah. Cause there are so many like cultural aspects to it. And I'm not even just thinking from like a, you know, from like your ancestral 
like heritage or what have you. I mean, even like coming just from like a gay or queer perspective, like there's so much shame already, like integrated into some of that early existence, right? That you, it becomes easy to just sort of normalize hiding (laughs) what's going on inside, you know, or just, or acting out in ways that create shame because it's, that's the comfort space, right? Or also like the normalization of like overcompensation, which I think a lot of gay people Mm -hmm. experience too. Like I can only show the shiny bits because I have to make up for how inadequate I've been made to feel for something that I can't control, which is my, my sexuality. Yeah. That's, that's huge. When we, uh, when we are talking about mental health and gay men, there are very specific aspects of the gay experience that have an impact on, on gay men and queer people in general. And so that's definitely one where you are having to show or lean on perfection, perfectionism in order to be accepted, to feel like you belong, uh, or even to um, keep the peace uh, within within the family unit or um, the structure within that you that you're in. I did want to mention that mental health is it exists within all families as well. I'm talking about ancestors and people of older generation, but mental health maybe was a neglected uh, aspect of our parents and then their parents. So in thinking about yourself, why do I struggle with learning how to share or learning how to identify my own, my own emotions? It's helpful to take a look at, well, how did, how did your parents deal with their emotions? How did they deal with hardships in life um, and trauma? And then how how were they then able to express that to their parents, if at all? And so when we are able to reflect on that, a lot of things make sense for us now today that we can then say, well, this is actually not mine. I inherited this version of mental health. uh, And this, I can be more intentional about how I want my mental health uh, process to be moving forward. Where does spirituality factor into mental health? Spirituality is, in my opinion, uh, a crucial component of mental health. Um, Because for me, spirituality allows us to grapple with some of the things that are beyond our control, or at least create some peace. Um, I know that within the field of mental health, spirituality and mental health as, as, a, as a clinical approach, don't always come together. We will ask clients about their, their religion and their spirituality and how that, uh, the level uh, or the connection that, they, that it has um, to their overall well-being, um, because it can be a source of, of support, of strength, of community. For me as a gay man, my foundation, my spirituality was very unstable uh, for a long uh, period of time. And I didn't realize that that was what was happening in my life, that that was the area that needed some attention from me and some healing. And even though I didn't grow up religious or going to church on a regular basis, um, we didn't have a lot of religious 
rituals at home, I still knew about the messages and the overall view of homosexuality, being gay. And while that was not what was being practiced or preached in my home, I knew that that, that was the reality outside in the world. It, it forced me to question my belief in, in God, and it, it forced me to sever that connection for, for a while. And looking back during that time is when I recognized that I felt the most dysregulated. Um, I felt the most lost. And it was not until I was able to go to a, a gay affirming church, a queer affirming church, that I started to regain that sense of stability once I was there and engaged in that, in that space that there was a void that was getting filled that I didn't realize was there and that it was so big within me. Uh, I cried every Sunday that I went to that church for the first three months. And I don't go to a church now. I am not part of any spiritual or religious, uh, sorry, uh, I'm not part of any religious community, but I needed, for me, I needed to have that healing experience in that space within the context of that religion in order for me to have a better hold and grasp on my mental health. Um, and that for me is the reason why I believe that spirituality and mental health are connected in a very real and meaningful way. So there's this thread that I'm trying to pull out from the conversation we're having, but it's connected to things I've been thinking about for a long time about healing and context and reframing things for ourselves. And I think that because we are in some ways story beings, like that's how we live our lives is through the stories we tell ourselves and that's so much about what's happening with our mental health. It's like, what are those narratives that's going on? And that when we can reframe something that's happening for us, when we can create a different context, it provides a lot of healing. It provides more space. And you've mentioned that in this conversation. Angels mentioned that in this conversation. Like when we realize, oh, I'm not broken. I just grew up in a family that didn't give me the tools that I needed to face the challenges. Like that reframing is tremendously healing. And so collectively, we're all in the midst of something that's really, really hard. And I want to find another word than unprecedented because I think it's overused. And I also don't think it's entirely true because I think like there have been pandemics before, but maybe never one exactly like this with all the extenuating circumstances. And I know that it's probably too soon to have a holistic answer to this question, but I have to ask it. How are you viewing the narrative or the context of what this is that we're surviving and the effect that it has on us individually as a professional? What are you seeing? That was, that's a really great question um, because, yes, reframing and, and context for our experiences, our thought patterns... And even our, our behavior, our actions, uh, can help us detach from the things that we recognize no longer serve us and that we want to move away from. And we can then be more intentional about how we want to move forward and what we want to incorporate. So for me, the, the pandemic forced a, a dramatic slowdown 
of life. You know, before, when I reflect back on what life was like before the pandemic, it was very busy, very fast, almost nonstop. That's just for me. I can, and I also saw that for a lot of other people. While it slowed down for a lot of people, it kind of sped up for others, you know, uh, uh, health workers, um, essential workers. And so this, what I, my, my answer is more on the, I'll start off with the, how life slowed down for, for most people. And the impact that I think that that had was it really made it difficult to, earlier we were mentioning avoiding the, the darkness. It really forced people to no longer have the opportunities or the, the avenues of avoiding that. So you really had to face the thing that was difficult to face before. I view that as a beautiful opportunity uh, and I've chosen to reframe that in that way for myself because it allows me to then move forward as opposed to viewing it as an insurmountable challenge that is going to dictate how I'm able to show up. And so if anyone experienced the slowdown or even the complete stop of life as it was before uh, and viewed it as a challenge it's a, and, and struggled through that, that's part of your journey and that's okay. And that is something that is very unique to you and recognize that somehow you made it through or are still making it through. I think that's really helpful. And what I also think is really helpful for me to hear is that, right, it slowed down for a lot of people, but it didn't slow down for everybody. And there's no one experience, even though in some ways we're all moving through the same thing. It's not the same thing for everybody. So that kind of brings me to something that I, that I really want to ask you about, knowing that there's not a one-size-fits-all answer to this, but we are beginning to like re-enter into the world. At least there's that invitation or opportunity presented to us. And so I'm just wondering what advice you might have for people as we kind of walk this bridge from where we've been to where it is that we're going. I encourage people to check in with themselves. I have heard from colleagues because we're having this conversation at work of we're all working remote at this time, but in the fall, we're expected to come back in person. And so we are being forced, and I'm sure other people are having these conversations at work, uh, and maybe people are planning trips with friends and, and whatnot. And that's all exciting, but also it can be worrisome. It can be, well, how do I feel about this? And that's, I encourage people to check in with yourself. It is perfectly normal and okay to be excited and uh, to be nervous, to be unsure. To, to be hesitant about going, going back. The other advice that I have is take it at your own pace, right? Just because uh, as much as you're able to control that, if your job is forcing you to go back in person, then that's something that, you know, you definitely want to, a conversation that you want to have in that space. Um, but in the things that you can have influence and control over, uh, take it at the pace that feels right for you. Check in with yourself along the way. If you end up agreeing to go to a party or a gathering in person, uh, checking in with yourself and recognize that maybe the, that day or the days leading up to that, you're going to feel nervous and worried. And that's okay. 
And if you choose to not go, that's okay as well. As long as you are uh, honoring your experience and checking in with yourself afterward. Uh, so say, uh, let's say you showed up and it was a good time, but it still felt uneasy. Checking in with yourself after and saying, how, how did that feel? How do I feel now after that experience? Is this something that I can see myself continuing to do or do I need to slow down even more? This is part of helping ourselves manage the uncertainty and still the very real health risks that exist even as we re-enter. Then the next piece that I wanna mention is how we make space and show up to, for others as we re-enter. And again, recognizing that just because we may feel ready to go to the club, ready to go on a destination trip with our group of friends, or even gather for someone's birthday party or in a restaurant, that not everyone is going to feel ready for that. And being okay with people saying no, or people saying, uh, expressing some concern, because sometimes what that can feel for us, especially if we're really excited to get back into it, is that, well, why are they ruining my fun? Or why is, uh, why, why is it that they cannot feel as excited as me and be, and be where I'm at? Honoring not just your own experience, but the experience that other people may have. Uh, I feel like that is gonna help us all move in that direction in a way that is mindful of everyone as much as, as possible. I mean, thank you for those because it, it, you know, it has me really recognizing that I, I think I also have to have like a bit more of a check-in with myself around it um, because it is such a like push-pull um, experience, you know, and it does feel like you want to operate at your own speed, at your own level, um, and then society, um, external friends, and then, you know, even governmental agencies, you know, <laughs> sort of dictate like, here's what's possible. Here's what, here's how you, what you can do. So get going. And, um, you know, kind of takes us back to the whole conversation around shame too, right? Because then it like kind of takes you, kind of triggers some of that of like, oh, why don't I feel, why don't I want to go to the club? Yeah, why don't I want to go to like, what is wrong with me, right? It can trigger some of that, which I feel is like such at the core of a lot of like mental health concerns and issues, that whole just like question of, but what is wrong with me? Um, and the idea that like, well, there's nothing wrong with you, right? Yeah, not at all. And it, being kind with yourself in this process is going to be, and compassionate is going to be so important for all of us to do uh, with ourselves and considerate of others uh, and mindful of others as well. And, you know, when it's interesting that we're using the word re-enter because that was, uh, it's making me think of other words that are related to this experience of re-entering, which include rebuilding, uh, relearning, uh, renewing, releasing, regaining, reconnecting. All of those speak to an experience that of the process that we're about to embark on or that we are currently embarking on. We have to learn, relearn how to be around people. Uh, and we have to be able to release some of the the ways in which we had to adapt to feel okay being at home 
most of the time. Uh, and we have to regain a sense of, uh, of safety and security and what that can look like in a world where COVID still exists and when we're surrounded by other people. Mm -hmm. uh, and lastly, we are also gonna be reconnecting with people that we lost connection or the connection shifted um, during the pandemic. I love hearing you use all these re words mm -hmm. because that's how Angel and I always talk about a Mercury retrograde <laughs> is that it's re whatever, reconditioning, reconnecting, um, I've even been thinking about the idea throughout this conversation of re-regulating, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're not going to be the same. We shouldn't expect that of ourselves. And in some ways that's a real beautiful opportunity because perhaps the version of ourselves that re-emerges is closer to who we actually are. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of, I mean, it's always perfect timing with astrology, but I'm seeing <laughs> it now that we have a Mercury retrograde happening in a couple of weeks and it's, perfectly aligning with these opportunities that are available for us as we do all these re things that you're mentioning. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. So I'm just curious through all of this, what has been the greatest lesson you've learned for yourself around taking care of you? I think for, for me, the lesson that I learned for taking care of myself has been to not pile on, not pile on projects, not pile on busyness in my life. It's still something that I'm working at, but I know that that's my tendency. And it's my tendency because when I feel busy, I feel productive. When I feel productive, I feel good about myself. And, the, and that was encouraged. That was almost expected before the pandemic. Busy during the pandemic was also draining. Draining from a well that was already not full. I have to be more mindful about what I put on my plate so that I have the capacity to care for myself in the way that I need to. Otherwise, I don't show up fully for myself. I don't show up fully for others. I don't show up fully for projects in my life. And the impact that that's going to have for others outside of me is that I sometimes will have to say no, and that's gonna feel difficult, but if I'm grounding myself in that decision around my mental health. Well, good for you. Yeah, will you teach us, please, how to do that? <laughs> yeah, we need some help. I'll be happy to help. Thank you. Well, that is relatable AF. Yeah. Thank you very much. And thank you for showing up for us. Yes, Armando, thank you for being here. We're so excited for our gazers to know of you and the work that you do. So the blog is called Gay Men and Blog. How can people find the blog? How can people find you and stay connected with you? Uh, it's at Gay Men and Blog on Instagram. And you can search the same thing uh, on Medium to find it. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you both. I really enjoyed this conversation and thank you so much for having me on the pod because I've gained so much from you both uh, over time. You have been part of my spiritual journey as well. Oh, so. well, we love that. And that's um, part of something Angel and I have wanted to start doing, which is bring people from our spiritual gaze community onto the program to continue to create and foster more community mm -hmm. that is experienced by the community. So 
thank you for for being brave and courageous and vulnerable <laughs> and sharing. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that conversation. And thanks again to Armando for sharing his beautiful heart and his wisdom. He is truly such a such a sweet love. Yeah, and uh, definitely some great tips and things to think about given everything we've been moving through. Yeah, all that re-entry. So shall we give the gays what they want? Let's pull a tarot card. Yes. For these five weeks while we're not together. So just take a moment and drop in, connect to the sound of the cards. And if you have a question or if there's a realm in your life where you're needing guidance, ask for this card to help empower that. And just trusting that this card and the message it contains will resonate no matter the future place or time to which you listen to this episode. It's the Ten of Wands reversed. Go on. Which I feel like is just reading the fuck out of me. <laughs> so for those of you that aren't familiar with the tarot, the Ten of Wands image is it's somebody and they are holding 10 wands. It's like a bundle of wands and they're a little bent over and they're sweating and they're really struggling underneath the weight of this. And what I think is first and foremost really interesting about this image is that each of these wands that they hold is a magic wand. But when they're all bundled together, they just look like driftwood. So the Ten of Wands is often an invitation to slow down, to ask for help. It's basically saying, you in danger, girl, you're on the verge of burnout. Tens in the tarot tend to invite our community. So I always imagine that if you're holding Ten Wands, it's probably because you're holding some wands for other people. And so you might get some help there. The reversal would just indicate that maybe there are places in your life where you're closer to burnout than you think you are. And there are places where it might help you to ask for help, maybe in realms that you don't often ask for help in. And it might be that we're feeling resistance to asking for help. I think that the Ten of Wands reminds us that we don't have to do everything all at once. And the best medicine is sometimes to put some fucking wands down. Which makes sense with re-entry. It's like, I want to see you, and I want to see you, and I want to do this thing, and I want to get a pedicure, and I want to go to Home Goods. And it's like, maybe you don't need to do all of that. Maybe you can just pick like two or three wands that feel the most important and the most pressing, and trust that there's time. There's time and space for those other wands. It's also an opportunity to reconnect with your community through collaboration, and in some ways through vulnerability. So I think it's going to be really tempting to get back out into the world and to try to present as if everything's okay when, I don't know about you, but like, we're all a little broken, I think. And so to present in that way, like, how can you help me and how can I help you? The Ten of Wands would encourage us to connect with our, with our communities from a place of truth and tenderness. So put some wands down and we're all learning that. All right, kitty cats, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for being here, for creating this community that we are so proud to be a part of. If you haven't ever rated the podcast five stars or left a review, Gemini season would be a great time to review it. Yeah. It's one of those great RE words that we were talking about. We would love that. But uh, if you want to find us, you can find us at thespiritualgaze.com. That's where you can find out info on all of our classes and um, 
how to uh, work with us uh, in any of our healing and reading offerings. You can also just email us at thespiritualgaze at gmail.com. We are also on Instagram at The Spiritual Gaze, Twitter at Spiritual Gaze, and Facebook at The Spiritual Gaze. Um, or, you know, just send out a little love prayer, and the love God will hear it and return it back. Until next time, this has been your transit through The Spiritual Gaze.